0: Amen. We're going to continue in uh, the second chapter of 1 John. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn there. You can access it on your phones. And if you're wondering where uh, 1 John is in your Bibles, it comes right before 2 and 3 John. Thank you. That's all I had for you today. You can be dismissed now. (laughs) What I love about this chapter is um, we just talked about what it means to really understand what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And then What I want to do is just fast forward just a little bit because of time. I I wish we could get to all of it. But chapter 2 is the longest chapter. And I want to go after uh, a really important topic that John brings out for us this morning. And we're going to begin in verses 12 through 14. And when you're reading this, you're probably going to ask yourself, why is John seemingly repeating himself? See if you can figure it out as you read along. 1 John 2, 12 through 14 says this. I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ, who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. Now watch, John repeats himself almost. He says, I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning... And I've written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Again, why does John repeat himself here? Usually uh, every day, especially Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays when it's just my boys and I, we go to school and I drop them off and as they're getting out of the line, I'm pushing them out as fast as we can because the line has to move. But as they're gathering their book bags and putting on their masks I say, hey boys, love you and be leaders today. And I tell them that every day because I'm not telling them to be something that they're not. I really believe that they're leaders and I really believe God wants to use them even if they're only kindergartners and second graders The reason I'm telling them this is because I'm reminding them of who they are because they're going to go in to a place where they can be pulled down to other people's levels. In other words, they have a great opportunity to be leaders and they also have a great opportunity to be followers. And so every time I say, hey boys, be leaders today, it's reminding them of who they are so they can fight the battle that they're about to go into in school. And that's why John does this for us. What he's saying is, you who are Christ followers, either young or old, just remember that God is in you. Remember that you've overcome the evil one because Jesus is helping you do that. And now you are going into the world as Christ followers, but you still are going to fight Temptation. You're still going to be confronted with many different things that could pull you down to its level. So he's warning them, be ready for that. Sounds familiar, right? Every day we walk into our worlds, whatever that is, we leave the comfort of our homes or we leave the comfort of our church. We as Christ followers are being sent out and it's easy to be pulled down. And John tells us what is at stake. What could we be pulled down to? Here's what he says. And I want you to see if you can find a word that's repeated five times in there. All right. Here's the next few verses. So do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, they're from the world. And this world, which is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Okay, what is the word that's repeated five times? I heard a couple people say world. It's this word, world. Now, at the beginning, it should confuse you because John, again, says this. Do not love the world nor the things it offers. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. But then why, when he's writing the gospel of John, which is his biography of Jesus' life, why does he then say, God loved the world? So he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What is John doing here? He's telling us to not love the world, but he's telling us that God loves the world. And, of course, then we should love the world like God loves the world. What's he doing? We see that word world in Greek is the word cosmos. And there's two definitions of that word, and they mean two very, very different things. So in John 3.16, when he says, love the world, it is that word cosmos. And he's talking about the world in general. Creation. People. That God loved creation. That God loved people. That he sent Jesus to die for them. And he's saying, you and I ought to love the world that way. My mom and I, when we danced the mother-son dance at my wedding. We, we danced to the song, Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World. Do never tell my mom I'm telling you this, because if she does, I'll know it's one of you that told on me. One of the reasons that I danced to that song is because it was the shortest song that I could find, <laughs> and I was embarrassed. Not because I love my mom, I just didn't want to dance in front of all those people in that way. But what I do love about the song, and it fits perfectly, is Louis Armstrong is reflecting on the world, and he's reflecting on the beauty of a beauty of people, and he comes to the conclusion, he says, oh, what a wonderful world. And that's kind of what God says in Genesis, right? He reflects on all he's created, and he says, it's good. What a wonderful world. When's the last time in our busyness, in the chaos of this world, even though the world slowed down, it seems like my life's gotten busier. When's the last time we just stopped and we looked around and we said, wow, what a wonderful world? The other day we were playing football in our front yard and uh, I just looked up, and I don't know why, but I just looked up at the woods that are a little bit further away from our house and I was overwhelmed by the beautiful colors of red and yellow and orange and green that the fall brings us. Now I know this weather's kind of knocking down those leaves right now, but just overwhelmed with the beauty of it. So when God says love the world, he's talking about the beauty, the essence, the goodness that he has put into the world. And he also says love love people. That's why when someone said, what's the most important thing we should do? God says love him and love people. It's really important that we love people just the way that you and I want to be loved. So we ought to love the world. But when John says, do not love this world nor anything it offers, he's not talking about the same kind of world we just described. We can still love the world and creation and people, but we can't love the way of the world. And the way of the world is this word world, again, cosmos in Greek, and it's usually used by John to signify Humanity organized in rebellion against God, which is so true. You want to know how I know that humanity rebels against God? Is because I'm a human. I don't have to look at your life. All I have to do is look at my life and say, wow, when push comes to shove, if I can choose God's way or my way, 10 out of 10 times, I want to choose my way. I want to rebel against God's way because I want it my way. Now, Jesus in me is starting to slowly show me over the last 15 years that I've been, no longer than that, 17 years that I've been a Christ follower, okay, hey, choosing God's way is not just the right way, but it's going to lead to the right outcome that you really want. But it's hard to do that. It's hard to trust God and not trust ourselves. And our world as a, as a system functions that way. Where they want to do what they want to do. We've seen that from Adam and Eve all the way to 2020. That the system of the world is God, no thank you. Whatever I can do, whatever we can do, we want to do. We can see it too. and So many things that we could label right and wrong it used to be so easy. It's black and white. I mean, they didn't have to argue it. Now there's so much gray it's hard to really convince people that there's a difference between right and wrong. Or if things are sin or things are a certain way, a lot of times we don't even fight against it. Either we cave to it, we ignore it, we think it's not a big deal. And this is what John is saying, look, Christ follower, I have to give you a warning. When you go into the world, you ought to love it as God loves it. What a wonderful world it is. It's beautiful. People are great. But if you're not careful, you will fall into the way of the world. And that way of the world will lead you down paths that are going to be hard to come out of. And what's so scary about it, it's so subtle. John tells us, here's what it looks like. He says for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure a craving for everything we see and a pride in our achievements and possessions that are not from the father but are from this world even if you're not a religious person or a christ follower you don't believe the bible let me ask you if you had to describe the world And the way it functions, and the way humanity does certain things, you tell me this isn't a good description of how the world is. A craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and our possessions. I mean, that's how the world, especially America, functions. I love how the NIV puts this verse. It says, for everything in the world, the lust." The flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from this world. Now, we can say that's exactly how the world functions. And John's saying, this is why I'm warning you this. Because if you're not careful, there will not be a differentiator between you and others. In other words, Christ follower, we ought to live in the tension between loving the world God's way... And trying not to fall into the world's way of living. And yet, it's really difficult not to do. And so what I want to do, just for the next few moments, is I want to describe these three areas of how the world functions. And I simply, not to guilt you, but to help you. Reflect on those and see, what have I fallen into? Have I slipped from loving the world the way God does into living by the world's standards and thus loving the world? The lust of the flesh. A preoccupation with satisfying and gratifying physical desires. Now, physical desire can be good but if it becomes the ultimate good in our lives, then we have a problem. What God has given us as a gift, we've twisted it to say, God, I need it to be God in my life, not just a good thing. So, a lust of the flesh, a very obvious thing that affects both women and men, is pornography where we've taken a, a thing, which is sex, and it's a good thing, and we've marred it and twisted it into something that God never meant to have and meant us to look at. And it's so easy to fall into that. Another example of lust of the flesh, which is, again, a preoccupation with satisfying or gratifying our desires is either over or under eating. Because we care so much about our body, and some of us will undereat to look a certain way. Others of us, like me, have adopted what a lot of people have said, the quarantine 15. But I've been so successful, I've gone to quarantine 25. Just blew it out of the water. But so, I got so preoccupied with just these gratifying this physical desire of comfort. That I didn't find it in God, but I found it in something else. Have you found yourself... Taking something good and turning it into a preoccupation of satisfying your physical desires. Lust of the eyes. A craving for and an accumulation of things. I've said it often. When God says the root of evil is money, he's not saying that money is evil. But because we sometimes love money and love things more than God itself, then it's clear, the scripture tells us, that we can be pierced and and be brought away from the faith by a preoccupation and a craving for stuff if we're not careful. And so for some of us, the lust of the eyes is that we don't know how to be content. We have a desire for more. Even if we buy something new, a few days, weeks, months, years later, we need something else new. That's why Apple is always coming up with a new phone. Because they've created a system in which you and I think we need it in order to have status or worth or be able to function in a way. You know what's crazy? I'm pretty sure can't prove this. I'm pretty sure Google lives in my house. It is blended in with my house. I don't know how. I don't know how I can prove it to you, but let me show you why I think it's happened. There was a time where I talked to my wife about something that I wanted. I didn't search it on Google. I talked to her. And then I went onto a website that had nothing to do with that thing, and all of a sudden those targeted ads that are on the side was the thing that I talked about, I was freaking out. I was like, what is going on? (laughs) And what's so funny, though, is that I am all the time thinking about stuff that I need. In fact, if you go on my phone, I have three different discount deal apps that I look at all the time. Why? Because I don't need it. But I've fallen into the world's way thinking I do have to have it. In order to function, in order to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. We've struggled with lust of the eyes if we can't rejoice with those who have more than us. If we get bitter, oh, they probably were lazy and somehow they have more than us. Look at their house. Look at their car. Look at their. If we're doing those kinds of things, we have fallen into a craving, an accumulation of things, especially if we can't have them. And then finally, the pride of life, which is an obsession with one's status, accomplishments, and importance. How do we know that we haven't fallen into this? Well, some of us are really, really hard workers, and I think that's so great. But some of us use that as an excuse to work long hours so that we can provide for our family. But truly, it's about accomplishment. It's about gaining recognition. It's about wanting to climb the ladder so we feel better about ourselves, and in turn, can either forget about our family or forget about other important things. But it just creeps in so easily, it's so hard. Or there's times, at least in my life, let's say that I had a part in something. And then say, for instance, I did something and then people said, man, Charles, great job today. I wish I could be like, yes, Charles did a great job, but why do I always have to think I need to tell them I also had a part in that? Or why is it that if Charles does a good job, I'm like, well, what about me? And I start to feel angry and bitter inside, even if I don't say that. Because we can fall into the world's way of saying, hey, you have worth if you can accomplish something, if you can have status, if you can have importance. So if you're like me, and you checked off all three boxes in the world's way, John's saying, hey, we can't be a cultural Christian or a worldly Christ follower that says you want this kind of love and this kind of love, that we can't do that. So what is our solution to go back to loving the world but not loving the way of the world and having to live that way? One of my favorite examples, it should be example A, sorry, it says example B, is the example of Jesus. Jesus is tempted in the desert for 40 days, and Satan comes, and he tempts God, Jesus, the same way he tempts us, with the lust of the flesh. He says, turn a stone into bread, because Jesus was hungry. He's like, hey, fulfill that hunger. Just turn the stone into bread. You'll have the comfort that you need. Jesus said no. He appeals to the lust of the eyes. You can have all of this as your kingdom. He's saying, look, you want more than what you have now? You can have it. And Jesus looked at Satan in the eyes and said, no. And then the pride of life. He said, you can order angels to do whatever you want. So jump. And he's appealing to his position and power. He's like, if you want to be worshipped more than you think you are now, go for this prestige and position. And Jesus says, no. How does he say no? He says no because he knows the Word of God. And he's so enthralled with the Word of God that he's able to resist in those three areas that so often we fall into. This is an appeal for you and I to spend more time in Scripture so we know how to combat the evil one when he appeals to those lusts and prides in our life. And then finally, and this is a big deal, I want us to understand what what John is saying here in verse 17. He said, And the world is fading away along with everything that people crave, But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Well, how do we please God? How do we know where our lives look like Jesus in the end, that we're loving the world but not the way of the world? And I love what John says in verse 6, just a little earlier. Anyone who says that he or she is a Christian should live as Christ lived. So when it comes to your response to this pandemic we're living in, to our response to our culture's way of the world, to how we act at work or how we live at home, if people in your lives put that verse up and said, this is the way we know you're Christ follower and you're living the right way, would people say, yeah, that's true of that person? It's a great litmus test on if we have fallen into the world's way. And it's a great reminder of hope that we don't have to, that we can pattern our way and world after Jesus. That he will help us through knowing his word and living by his power and example so we can be the Christ followers that God is calling us out of the world and then back into the world to love the world the way Jesus does. So let me end with this. I don't know if you know this. In two days, we have an election coming up. It's a big deal. I think a lot of times we we are very obsessed with who we should vote for, and that is very important. In fact, that's 1A. But 1B, which is just as important, is how we vote and how we treat others who vote differently than us and how we're, we're supposed to respond if our candidate doesn't get the presidency come Tuesday. And so what I want to remind you of is this quote from John Wesley. He was a preacher in the 1700s, and I thought, man, John Wesley, if I, didn't, if I didn't know John Wesley, I think he just wrote this 10 minutes ago. And he said, when it comes to Christ followers, loving the world but not living in the world, this is how we approach an election, especially this one coming up. One, we vote for the person that we judge most worthy. And what he means by worthy is the one that we feel like lines up with our values, our beliefs, and we vote with our conscience. Now sometimes that's going to look differently for Christians and different people, but you are responsible for you. You and I can't control who anyone else votes for, no matter how much we want to. We have to be respectful and honest before God, and that's our right to do so. But the second, not just the who, but the how, the second and third, to speak no evil of the person they voted against. So if you're a Biden guy, how you speaking against Trump? If you're a Trump guy, how you speaking against Biden? Because Jesus says the way we love people is to show it by our actions and our words, even if we don't like that person. And then third, to make sure our spirits are not sharpened against those who vote on the other side. For bitter, for angry, we're not approaching this the way Jesus would ask us to do. So let me end in a word of prayer from Scotty Smith that hopefully aligns our hearts with who we vote for. King Jesus, you've already been installed as the ruler of kings on the earth. King David's throne has become your throne of grace from which you are actively ruling the world with your truth and grace. Eternal discretion, not any election, determines our future. Thank you, God. Forgive us of any impatience we've had with your timing, doubt about your engagement, or we don't like your style, as silly as it sounds. You are the king, and you always will be. So, Lord Jesus, as the gospel continues its transforming work in our lives, may it advance through our lives. Free us to show up joyfully, love boldly, and hope patiently because you are making all things new. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You'll be dismissed in a few moments. Thank you for being here. Jesus. Bless.